Uh, we are one church in many locations, and we are celebrating today the grand opening of our Pacala campus in their new building. We have been worshiping there, but, but today is the day that we're dedicating that building to the Lord. Many of you have been involved in that, both in prayer and planning and giving especially. Thank you for being a generous church. I know a lot of you gave sacrificially for a building that you're not going to worship in, but that is going to be used as a lighthouse for the good news of Jesus. And I want us to pause and pray a prayer of dedication right now for our Pacala campus's new building. Would you do that with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that the people of your church are generous and they have a vision. And I pray that the building at Pacala will be used to help as many as possible take their next step toward Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we will see that that campus have a tremendous impact in that community. And God, I know already they are. And there are people who are now hearing the good news of Jesus who've never heard it before. I pray, Father, that the building might be used as a tool for your kingdom and for your glory. Anoint, Father, that congregation, that group of people, and all the ways that they will minister to you. And Father, thank you that we as a church of a whole, one church in a lot of different places, are able to lift you up and help people see that there is a God who loves them and that they matter to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this year, our theme is peace. I've encouraged you to memorize John 14, 27. Uh, I want you to read it together with me. We do this to help drive that into our memories. Let's read it as if we've had five cups of coffee. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, the peace Jesus is talking about here is shalom peace. And shalom peace is a deep sense of well-being that's not dependent on external circumstances. In other words, the world may be falling apart, but we can still have peace because we know that our God is in charge. And as we have unpacked this through looking at Proverbs chapter three, and if you have a Bible, you might wanna go ahead and turn to Proverbs three because we're going about there. We've talked about how love and faithfulness are our North stars and about how we trust God with our decisions. Last week, we talked about something real counterintuitive, how generosity can actually bring you financial peace. And today, we're gonna to look at one of the most important ways that God brings us peace. Help us understand this. I want you to look at this diagram of the soul. This is developed on the thoughts and philosophy of Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher, who says that we are a soul, and at the very center is your will where you make decisions. Then you have mind where there is feelings and thoughts. You have a body where you have appetites and desires, and a little bit more, we'll talk about that. And then you have relationships, that's your social world. All of that blends together and that is your soul. It is your operating system for life. Now your body, as we often say, is the seat of your appetites and desires. But it is also the place of your abilities. You've got the ability. Some of you have enough strength that you can open up jars of jelly. But it also is the place of your behavior. You cannot behave without a body. It's impossible. And so what would happen if you had peace for your desires, your appetites, and your abilities and behaviors, what would it mean for you? Now, this is a picture of Tom Brady. Tom Brady retired again this week. He's widely considered to be the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. 
he played longer as a starting quarterback in the NFL than any other player, 22 seasons. He's now 45 years old. Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls. He's been named Super Bowl MVP, I think, five times. An amazing, amazing athlete. Now, Tom Brady has trained his abilities and behaviors. He spends an amazing amount of time doing resistance training. You all know about resistance training, builds muscular strength. Neuroplasticity training, where you train your muscles to do the same thing, muscle memory. Even though he's thrown thousands of passes, he still practices that. And you wouldn't believe his diet. He drinks six gallons of water a day which means he spends a lot of time doing something else. And he has a very, very specific diet. Um, he avoids most fruits, mushrooms, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, coffee. How does he function? Gatorade, white sugar, flour, gluten, dairy, soda, cereal, white rice, potatoes, and bread. I do not know what the man eats. But he has decided that is the diet necessary for him to be able to do what he wants to do, to behave the way he wants to behave and have the abilities that he wants to have. Now, now, don't you think it would be cool to win a Super Bowl like Tom Brady? I think it would really be cool because I mean, you'd be on the field, the confetti would be falling down around you. You could say, I get to go to Disney World while you hold the Lombardi trophy. It would just be amazing. Are you willing to discipline your abilities and behaviors like Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl. Ugh. Isn't this true? Most of us want the benefit but not the discipline. Let me change the question. Uh, would you like to have peace in your life? Most of us would say yes. Are you willing to discipline your behavior and abilities to have peace? What do you think? Do you think most people would say, yes, I'm willing to discipline my behaviors and abilities to have peace? Or do you think most people would actually say, well, I want to, but. So let me give you the big idea of the day. You might want to write this down. Big idea of the day. Discipline is God's tool to bring you peace. Discipline is God's tool to bring you peace. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, I was not always a cowboy growing up. For 10 years, we lived off the ranch, and during that time, I played French horn in our high school band. This is our high school band, the Largo Band of Gold. Do you see me? I'm in the picture. I'll be honest, I don't even remember where I am in the picture anymore. Um, our band was five times national championships. We went to the world competition in Kirkrod, Holland, uh, in the competition against professional European bands, and we defeated them all, had the highest field score ever scored in the history of that competition. So it was a pretty good high school band to defeat professionals. How did we do it? Our director, fantastic leader, he taught us the discipline of doing a field show and then concert material as well. So what we did is we practiced over and over and over. Every Wednesday night, six o'clock, Band was on the field practicing. We would practice often until midnight. That made us very popular with the neighbors of the high school. And we went to it, we'd memorized all our music and we just did the show again and again. I can remember standing on the field of the world championship in Kirkrod, getting ready for the show to start and being nervous, anxious, 
don't let me mess up, don't let me mess up, don't let me mess up. But as soon as we started, it was automatic. I had done this at least a thousand times. I knew all the music by heart and it became something, I had, I had a calm, I had a peace. The discipline brought me peace. Now let me tell you the great lie that everybody says. Okay, when it's game time, then I'll be ready. If you don't discipline in the practice time, you'll never be ready for the game time. And that's what Solomon wants to teach his sons who are gonna go out and be government officials. He wants to teach them the value of God's discipline. So we're gonna look at two verses. They're very deep. Verses 11 and 12. Chapter three, Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So today we wanna answer three questions. We wanna answer how does God discipline, what is God's motive, and what is your response to God's discipline? First question, let's dive in. How does God discipline us? Well, there are two key words in verse 11. There is the word discipline and there is the word reproof. The word discipline has two basic meanings. First way that God's discipline disciplines us is through teaching. That's one of the meanings of the word. God teaches us. Now, what is teaching? Good teaching puts you in touch with reality. Good teaching helps you understand this is reality. No matter what a philosopher might say or somebody else might say. Let me give you an example of this. One plus one equals, okay, some of you aren't sure. This is pretty, I put the answer up here for you. And this is reality, right? You can argue about it all day long, but you know what keeps an airplane in the sky? Basic math like this. It's reality. Now, that's a very easy, uh, very easy thing to understand, but let's get into God's reality. God's reality wants to bring you peace. And if you fight it, you're not gonna have peace. For example, God wants you to be patient. Do you think you would benefit in life if you were more patient? Some of you are not sure. But the answer is you would, because have you ever known an impatient person who had peace? No, no. And in fact, we believe a lot of lies about impatience. How many of you have ever been stuck in traffic and felt impatient and you have drummed your fingers, you have even tried to, to get off of a blocked traffic and go up the emergency lane until you hit a bridge abutment and then all those people that you just passed in the emergency lane, not that I've ever done this, they look at you with haughty eyes and go right past you saying, ha, we are not gonna let you in. Impatience does not bring you peace. God knows that. That's why God wants you to learn his way of patience. That's a reality. Your life would be better if you were more patient. So how does God teach us? He, God teaches us, disciplines us through teaching. Now here's the second meaning of discipline. God disciplines us through punishment. And we struggle with this. People say, well, if God is so loving, why does he punish us? Punishment teaches us that 
something is not good for us. And when we cross a boundary, we harm ourselves and other people. My first car was a 1968 Plymouth Barracuda. It is not as cool as it sounds. It was a hand-me-down from my sister. Uh, my parents gave it to me I, when I was a senior in high school and I was driving to church on a Sunday morning and I ran a stop sign and I hit another car. Thankfully, no one was hurt. I wasn't hurt. They weren't hurt. And so naturally, I have to call my parents and say, I've had a wreck. Can you please come get me? They sent my brother because they would have probably killed me the first time they saw me. And when I got home, they, they asked, they ask, are you okay, which was good. And then they said, your driving privileges are suspended for one month, man, young man. And I said in response to them, thank you. I'm sure that is a lesson I need to learn. I appreciate your wisdom. I did not say that. I argued, the sign was blocked by a bush. I argued, you'll have to take me everywhere. Well, you're not going anywhere, so we don't have to take you. <laughs> I argued, but, but, but this is just unfair. It's unfair. I didn't realize till years later, they were trying to teach me something important. Stop at stop signs. There are consequences to choices. They didn't want me to hurt somebody and they didn't want me to be hurt. And besides that, they were gonna to have to pay to fix my car. And besides that, their insurance was gonna go up. I want you to think about this. Punishment showed me the consequences of my choices. Do you need to learn the consequence of your choices? That is why God punishes us. Now, how does God do this? Let me give you three quick ways that I see in the Bible that God punishes us. First of all, God punishes us by letting us experience the consequences of our actions. So let's, make, let's say I make a decision to be greedy. And you do make decisions to be greedy. You spend more than you make. You, you begin to put things on credit cards. And then you get in financial trouble. You can't pay your bills. And what is your reaction when financial reality sets in? Are you one of those people who says, well, this just isn't fair? Do you look for somebody else to blame? Do you get mad at God? God, how could you let me get in this situation? Don't blame God for the mess you made. God is letting you experience the pain of your choice. That's one of the ways God punishes us. A second way that God punishes us he punishes us by allowing our souls to become unhealthy. Now, this is hard because we think, well, God loves me. He wouldn't let my soul get unhealthy. If you've ever uh, been around people who do 12-step programs or ever done one yourself, you know that people with addictive sin in their life, addictive issues in their life, they don't change until they hit rock bottom. I have actually counseled people and when they've come to me with a loved one and they said, what do we do? I said, help them hit bottom as fast as possible. Don't enable them. Why? It's part of God giving us free will, free choice. And when one day you realize like the prodigal son that you have woken up in a place you don't wanna be, that's when you finally decide to get some help. God will let you have an unhealthy soul so you will finally get fed up and wanna do something different. 
Say you make a decision, and this is a decision too, to let your soul become unhealthy by lust. You make a decision to lust, you objectify people of the opposite sex, you see them only as sexual beings for your pleasure or your enjoyment. Do you think it's possible to objectify people and have a healthy, intimate relationship with a real person? It's not possible. It's not possible. That's reality. And God is going to help you by letting you do that so you will eventually hit bottom and say, I don't want this life anymore. That's the way God punishes. Now here's the third way that God punishes us and this is the most difficult one of all. God directly intervenes in our lives and allows tragedy or disaster to occur as a consequence of our sin. There's a biblical example of this, a man named David, King David in the Bible. David sees Bathsheba, he lusts for her, he objectifies, objectifies her. They have an intimate encounter, she gets pregnant, uh, she's married. Uh, David sends for her husband Uriah to come back. He does not cover up David's sin. He refuses to go home and sleep with his wife. And so David then sends orders for Uriah to be returned to battle and killed in battle and make it look like an accident. He waits for a mourning period, marries Bathsheba, and six months later, when the baby is born, he hopes no one can do the math of a nine-pound baby being born after six months of marriage. And David thinks he's gotten away with it. Do you think everybody else in Jerusalem had figured this out? Have you ever noticed you're the last one to really see the consequence? The prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him. David admits, I've done wrong, I have sinned. And at this point, if this was a Hollywood story, it would just wrap up in a neat bow and the credits would roll, but, but that's not reality. Instead, through Nathan the prophet, God says, I will not take your kingdom away from you but the child that has been born will die. And we won't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the child done? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. Don't act so shocked. Haven't you seen a child in our world suffer because their father sins and they've done nothing to deserve it? Haven't you seen that? And the child dies. And while the child is sick, David prays and asks God to have mercy, but God doesn't. It's very hard to understand. Do you think David remembered that for the rest of his life? That his son died because he sinned? I can explain, I can't explain all the reasons why God does things that way. I can simply tell you that I have seen it, I've experienced it myself, and I bet you have too. Now let me hasten on to say, this is very important, not all tragedy is God's punishment. There are some people who say, well, something bad happened to you, you must have sinned. That was the mistake of Job's friends. You remember Job lost everything. He had three friends, so-called, who came to comfort him, and they kept saying, okay, Job, all this bad stuff has happened to you. What did you do wrong? And Job said, I haven't done anything wrong. So don't interpret somebody else's tragedy as God's punishment. Here's what I think is helpful. When you experience tragedy, you ask God, 
God, what, what, what was this? What was this? And, and my own experience is most of the time I know when a tragedy happens to me that it's God's punishment for my sin. When something bad happens to me and it's like, why did this happen? Okay, it's because I sinned. But then there's other tragedy that happens that just happens. So God punishes us. Now, there's another word uh, in this verse, verse 11, reproof. What does it mean? Reproof is the idea of a correction or God explaining to us. Uh, God disciplines us through explanation. You might think of this as logic. God has a logic, a way of thinking. And God disciplines us and he wants to explain to us why he thinks the way he thinks. An example of this. Why does God want you to be saved? Why does God want a relationship with you? Ephesians 2.4 says this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now this is the way God thinks. God looks at the world and he says, there are a lot of dead people walking around down there. Long before the TV show Walking Dead, there was the theology of the Walking Dead. And God could say by his logic, I don't want anything to do with the dead people. But instead, because of he is rich in mercy, God sends his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can be made alive and he has resurrected his son Jesus from the dead so that we know there is power to break sin in our lives. This is the way God thinks. And God does this not because we earn it, but because of grace. The wrong approach is to say to God, God, you must fit in my logic. God is an infinite being. He does not think the way you think. Isaiah 55, 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Do you hear what God is saying? I have a different logic system. I have a different system of reasoning than yours. So I'll give you an example of this. Uh, one of the most difficult ideas in scripture to understand is the idea of predestination. It's clearly taught. Predestination means God pre-chooses who will be saved. But the Bible also teaches that we all have free will. So if God chooses who will be saved and we have free will, how do you resolve that tension? The answer is you can't. It's like two railroad tracks going off. They look parallel and they are parallel, but God says somewhere in my mind, these are logical. They make sense. It makes sense to me. This is part of what happens as we dig deeper into God's word and we see things that don't make sense. We have to ask God, help me make sense of that. Or God, help me trust you based on what I know that this does make sense to you. How do you learn God's logic? You study. You study his word. You get under good teaching. Tom Brady, we're told, watched 40 hours of game film a week. 
He watched it not only of other teams, but he watched it of himself. And if you've ever had to watch yourself give a speech, you know that's gotta be incredibly difficult. You see all the mistakes you made that nobody else sees. Now, I personally think, all right, he watched game film 40 hours. He had this incredible three or four hour workout every day and he had to eat all of these things and make sure that was all taken care of. Plus he had football practice. No wonder Giselle left him. Okay, and if you don't know that story, Tune in, people. Okay. I just want you to think about this. Think about this. Are you really taking time to understand God? Are you under good teaching? Or are you relying on that guy that works alongside of you who says, I saw something on the internet the other day. And by the way, If you encounter a preacher or a teacher who says they can explain everything about God to you, run. Because God is an infant being and we're not. So this is how God disciplines. He teaches, he punishes, he explains. Now, second question, what is God's motive? What's God's motive? Verse 12 makes it real clear. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Um, I taught you a couple of weeks ago about the Hebrew word for love, hesed, which means committed love, love that hangs on. This is a different Hebrew word for love. It is the word aheb, and it means passionate love. It is love that just comes out as raw passion. Now, I'm not talking about Hallmark movie passion. It's the passion I felt the first time they put my firstborn child in my arms, my son. And at that moment, when they put him in my arms, I knew I loved that child. And as long as I lived, I was going to love him. I was going to do my best to provide for him and protect him. And woe be to anybody who attacks him, because if you attack my son, you attack me. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Do you know that? Do you know that? If you don't know it, it may be because you've never truly understood the love of God. You've never received Jesus as your savior. Or it may be that you're letting another voice in your head be louder than the voice of God's love. Now, God, because he loves us, disciplines us. He corrects us. He punishes us. What kind of parent does not punish their child? Does not discipline their child? the parent who does not have a strong emotional connection to that child. Who says, I really don't feel an investment about this child, so I'm gonna let them do what they want. I I bet every one of you who have children, when your children were preschoolers, you went through this. It's time to go to bed, it's time to brush your teeth. And when they're about three, if you have compliant children, they will say, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, and they will go brush their teeth. And if you have children like that, you get on your knees right now and you thank God for that. I had two children like that and I had another one and I won't tell you which one. She's strong-willed. Well, I've narrowed it down to two. And it's amazing how strong-willed she was. She came out that way. She came out that way. And so when we would tell her, it's time to go brush your teeth, she would say, no. 
Now, if I did not care about her, I would have probably said something like, okay, honey, that's all right. I love you. Don't brush your teeth. Just go on to bed. Because I'm telling you, it takes energy to discipline a child. By the way, it takes energy for God to discipline the world. Don't underestimate how much energy that takes God. So you kind of know how this unfolded. That child would say no, and I would say, you are going to brush your teeth. And they would say no, and I don't know what it was. It's a deficiency in me as a parent. But if you defied me, by golly, I was going to win. So she would say no, and I would try to reason with her. I would try to teach her. I would try to explain to her, honey, if you don't brush your teeth, your, your teeth will fall out, and you can't have Chick-fil-A. I thought it made sense, right? No, she was not going to brush her teeth. And then so her mother would look at me as in, you told her, you fix it. So um, I would then pick her up because I was bigger than her. And I would, in Jesus' name, throw her over my shoulder and take her to the bathroom. And I would put her down on the floor, kind of hold her down with one arm. And I would get a toothbrush and some toothpaste and I'd put it on there and I would put it under the water and then I'd say, open your mouth. And you know what came next? No, she didn't say no. She just clamped down. Now, I was tempted to employ skills I had learned on the ranch. <laughs> where you grab a cow by the nostrils and pull it open. But I didn't do that. But I also knew that if I got a finger underneath her front lip, upper lip, I'd peel that lip up and I'd start brushing and I would brush, and I would brush, and I would brush all around, and she'd be like, and I was like, oh, it's okay, honey. And then I learned if I could go back here where she didn't have any teeth yet, because she would bite you. She would bite you. I'd go back there, and I'd kind of pry open that mouth, and I'd get back the backside of those teeth, and I'd brush all around. Now, don't shake your head at me, because I know you've done the same thing. And I got those teeth brushed, she had to be disciplined to brush the teeth. And here's the real tragedy of it. That child is now 26 years old, which I probably just told you which child it was. 26 years old, makes good money, is married and has a good life. And she has never once come to me and said, thank you, Father, for disciplining me about my teeth. But then when's the last time you thanked God for disciplining you? He does it because he loves you. And yet we get mad and say, God, why are you so unfair? There's another dimension of this. Verse 12 also says, God delights in us. Do you know what it means to delight in someone? It just means you enjoy being with them. You just love to be with them. My, my grandson he has this little track with little cars and he loves to race those cars down that track. They kind of go down the hill and they hit the floor and they just scatter everywhere and every time he does it, he laughs. I could watch him do it all day. I just delight in that. You say, that's kind of a waste of time, isn't it? Nope. Don't you know that's how your heavenly father feels about you? Don't you know that your heavenly father just delights in you? He says, I want to spend time with you. I want to laugh with you. See, so much of our teaching about our Heavenly Father is that God, God, God wants us to have a certain kind of conduct. He does, yes. 
And that, and that God wants us to do these behaviors. Yes, he does, but he wants it so you can have peace because he delights in you and it's gonna help you have time with him. It's going to fill your soul. That's what your heavenly father wants for you. I believe God disciplines believers and non-believers, believers so that they can become more like Jesus, non-believers so they can be drawn to Jesus. But I want you to remember nowhere in this passage does it tell us that God is abusive in his discipline? God never abuses us. He does it because he loves us. God disciplines you because he loves you and delights in you. Now, real quick, real quick, last question. What's your response to God's discipline? What is your response to God's discipline? Is your response to say, I don't like this? Is your response to say, God, you're not being fair? Is your response to say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I want to offer you one simple question. Heavenly Father, what am I to learn from this? Heavenly Father, what, what am I to learn from this? I think sometimes your Heavenly Father would respond and say, well, you, I want you to learn don't do this again. Sometimes I think your heavenly father would say, you've been doing this a long time and your soul's getting sicker. I think sometimes your heavenly father says, I want to shape your character to be like the character of Jesus because ultimately that's how you're going to find peace. So as we finish up today, I just want us to do a, a spiritual experiment, spiritual experiment. And I hope you'll participate. And to really do this, uh, I want to invite you please to bow your heads. You can close your eyes if you want to, you don't have to. But I just want you to think about some time in your life when you felt like God was disciplining you. When you felt like God was disciplining you. You got that in mind? Maybe it's right now. And, and then I just want you to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, what, what was I supposed to learn from that? Heavenly Father, what... What am I supposed to be learning right now while this is happening? What's God saying to you? Heavenly Father, I, I'm asking for myself and for everyone who hears this message that we would hear your voice clearly, that we would know what you're trying to teach us and we'd learn it and change our behavior and sharpen our abilities. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.